back to the Daily Devotion. My name is Kevin. I'm the pastor of Christ Church Conway, a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America here in Conway, Arkansas. The Daily Devotion is a time for us to be strengthened in our faith through the study of Scripture and theology. Right now we're working our way through the book of Esther, an incredibly fascinating story that reads like the plot of some modern movie that we probably wouldn't be comfortable going to see because of the just rampant immorality and questionable practices and, and all kinds of things that are found within this story. But nonetheless, here we find this story in Scripture, and here we find this story that is a story of God working out His will for His people, even through questionable circumstances, profoundly questionable circumstances. And as we come to this story, we, we now are up to chapter 2, and some new characters are introduced. So let me pray for us, and then I'm going to read chapter 2, verses 1 through 18. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the reminder that this book gives us, that you are at work despite our failures. You're at work despite our circumstances. You're at work to bring about your good, pleasing, and perfect will for your people, that you do, in fact, use crooked sticks to draw straight lines. We pray, Father, that you would give us wisdom to understand your word, to believe your word, to trust your word. We ask this in Christ's most precious name. Amen. After these things, when the anger of King Ahasuerus had abated, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what had been decreed against her. Then the king's young men who attended him said, Let beautiful young virgins be sought out for the king, and let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom Together all the beautiful young virgins to the harem in Susa, the capital, under custody of Haggai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women. Let their cosmetics be given to them, and let the young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This pleased the king, and he did so. Now there was a Jew in Susa, the citadel, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, son of Shimei, son of Kish, a Benjamite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem among the captives, carried away with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away. He was bringing up Hadassah, that is, Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at, and when her father and her mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So when the king's order and his edict were proclaimed, and when many young women were gathered in Susa the citadel in custody of Haggai, Esther also was taken into the king's palace and put in custody of Haggai, who had charge of the women. And the young woman pleased him and won his favor. And he quickly provided her with her cosmetics and her portion of food and with seven chosen young women from the king's palace and advanced her and her young women to the best place in the harem. Esther had not known her people or her kindred, for Mordecai had commanded her not to make it known. And every day Mordecai walked in, walked in front of the court, it walked in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and what was happening to her. Now when the turn came for each young woman to go in to King Ahasuerus after being 12 months under the regulation for the women, since this was the regular period of their beautifying, six months with oil and myrrh and six months with spices and ointments for women, when the young woman went into the king in this way, she was given whatever she desired to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. In the evening she would go in, and in the morning she would return to the second harem in custody of Shashkaz, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the concubines. And she would not go in to the king again unless the king delighted in her and she was summoned by name. When the turn came for Esther, 
the daughter of Abihel, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his own daughter to go into the king, she asked for nothing except what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who had charge of the women, advised. Now Esther was winning favor in the eyes of all who saw her. And when Esther was taken to the king, to King Ahasuerus, into his royal palace in the tenth month, which is the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign, the king loved Esther more than all the women, and she won grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins. So he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king gave a great feast for all his officials and servants. It was Esther's feast. He also granted a remission of taxes to the provinces and gave gifts with royal generosity. So here we are at the story of Esther, and two new characters have been introduced. And, and I struggle even to get started because there are so many issues, so many struggles with this story. But two new characters are introduced that haven't been introduced up to this point, though we knew it was coming. There's Mordecai, Esther's uncle, and Esther herself. Now, Mordecai, we have his family history, that his family was exiled or, or, or taken to Babylon. We read there in verses 5 and 6. And it reads as if it was Mordecai that was taken under King Nebuchadnezzar, but that would make him and therefore Esther extremely old. Probably what is being happen happening here is the, the author is presenting Mordecai in this kind of strong Jewish line that was exported to Babylon, carried away uh, from Judah by Nebuchadnezzar back in the day. And, and, and he's just building the, the Jewish identity of Mordecai and Esther and their family. So Mordecai is introduced and he is some kind of official in King Xerxes or King Ahasuerus's uh, you know, cabinet, uh, to use a, a modern term. And, and there's actually, a, a, you know, in ancient accounts, there is a character in his council named Marduka, which is uh, kind of the more Persian equivalent of the, the Hebrew Mordecai. Likely the same character, though we can't be certain. Uh, there's also Haggai, this guy who's in charge of these women. He's mentioned in the you know, same ancient accounts at this time. So there, there is kind of this note of historicity to what's happening here. This process even wouldn't have been uh, an un uncommon or unreasonable process to assume was going on in this time. But it's this process that gives us pause because it, it offends our moral sensibilities at every stage. And indeed, it should. There are a number of problems that are going on with this. There's the obvious objectification of women. Everything that's going on here, we, you know, in our kind of Pollyannish reading of this story, we like to think Esther was just beautiful and walked in and the king was taken with her beauty, but that's very, very unlikely as to what was going on here. This was probably uh, th these women that were being brought in. It was probably kind of sexual encounter after sexual encounter for the king, and it was the one that pleased him in that way that he was choosing. And Esther's the one that does. And so this raises all kinds of, of questions, moral, ethical, justice kinds of questions that we have to process through and are difficult to process through. Sometimes we it is presented as Esther probably didn't want to go and, and this was a forcible rape kind of situation, but that's reading into the text. Esther and Mordecai at some level have kind of assimilated into Persian culture and it's very likely, despite how VeggieTales presents it, that she might have been completely fine going and joining in what was happening. But 
making her completely okay with everything. And, and that's also reading in text. There's, there's just layers of ambiguity that are presented here that, that make it very difficult to understand what's going on. If we assume that she wasn't okay and that this was all kind of a forcible thing, there's one set of problems. If she, we assume that she was okay and, and, and that she was willing to do this, then there's a completely different set of problems because here this Jewish family is violating kind of every Jewish law that you can think of. Yet they're the family that are used to say, for, for God to, to work providentially to save his people. So no matter how we look at this story, we're up against some incredibly difficult situations. You've got this kind of bully king who is taken with himself, who is taken with his own power, but who has lost dramatically the seven years that have happened, by the way, uh, that would have included his profound failure in battle against Greece, this failure that, that is presented, and I haven't seen the movie, but the movie 300 that came out a few years ago, that's presenting the battle that that Xerxes or Ahasuerus would have lost between chapter 1 and chapter 2, okay? That's the battle that probably he was presenting his ability to go and win in chapter 1, and then we get to chapter 2, and it doesn't mention it, but he has lost this battle at this point. He is at home sulking, missing his wife that he ran off and wanting a new one to comfort him and all of these things. So you've got this bully king who like is being manipulated by the people that are feeding him information and who is, you know, taken with his own sexual exploits and, and seeking that to comfort himself. And through all of this, that's how Esther ends up being queen. Through, through kind of participating in this game, and, and it's not clear from the text or from ancient sources that she would have been required to participate. But through this just wild series of events that are questionable no matter how you look at them, Esther is put in place as, as queen. Now, we've got to be careful with how we appropriate this because recognizing where this story is going, that, that God is providentially working out his plan in order to save his people, doesn't in any way give a pass for anything that is happening here. Rather, what we see here is that, that God is able to work even through the, the, the wildly and in the wildly sinful world and the wildly corrupt world in which we live, God is able to work even in and through those systems in order to bring about his will for his people, in order to bring about the deliverance of his people. Now, of course, it's, this isn't the first time we're going to see God working through wildly corrupt power structures. That's exactly what happens when Christ is crucified for the deliverance of his people. And so we've got to be careful that we don't give a pass either to Ahasuerus or to Esther if she was okay with everything. Like, no matter how we read the story, there's profound problems. But what we see in this story is that, to, to use an old Puritan line, God sometimes does use crooked sticks to draw straight lines. We aren't in a position of being able to understand why or how he does it that way, other than to say he has nothing else to work with. What we must be careful to do is that we don't use this principle to be okay choosing the, the lesser of two evils. 
that, that we don't fall into the trap as we try to think about how we are to live, that, that we don't look at God's providence and, and his ruling and use that as an excuse for the, for the ends to justify the means of getting there. That's not the point of this story. The point of this story, as we look at the, the broader picture of Esther, this book in which God is never mentioned, is that even in what seems like a godless story, Yahweh is actually still at work to bring about the deliverance of his people. This is a story that reminds us that we don't have to doubt God's providential rule in our lives and in this world. And so as we look at whether it's Esther's failures or and Mordecai's failures or Ahasuerus's failures or, or both, which in my opinion is probably like most likely the situation, we don't have to set somehow Esther up as a moral example, nor do we have to try to cleanse this story. We can simply recognize as we read through this story that God is at work to bring about his will. We'll see more of that as this plot with Haman begins to get uncovered tomorrow. Until then, may we learn more and more to rest in Christ and in the providential reign of our God.